Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch, fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Welcome in. It is CBS Fantasy Baseball today. I am your host today, Chris Welsh, joined, as always, by my dear friend Scott White. And Scott, Max Muncy hit on the wrist by a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. He was in agony. He left the game. X-rays are needed to be had, but boy, do I not want to talk about Max Muncy in the injury. All I want to talk about is the potential that Gavin Lux could be on his way right now. Yeah, this would be kind of the, the perfect catalyst for that, right? And every time we've talked about Gavin Lux over the past couple of weeks, I've pretty much been of the thinking that it would happen anyway. Uh, if if this ends up being a fracture for Muncy, a six week type injury for him, where you know it's not even clear they're going to have him for a postseason run, I, I think it's obvious that they end up calling up Lux and installing him at second base and seeing how it plays out over the course of September. If he looks ready, then he carries it into the play. Like they would, they they would have a clear need at that point, and. Uh, I mean, if there was, you know, we may find out before this podcast is over, we may have the results of that x-ray, but uh, if not, and we still don't know much in the morning, I mean, obviously you got to make a play for him. Well, and there's multiple things at play. One of the funny things that ended up happening is, you know, so he gets hit on the wrist, he's out. Then you've got Oklahoma City and the PCL, which is the Dodgers AAA affiliate playing. Gavin Lux leaves the game. So the internet lost their mind for a minute there. But Gavin Lux was ejected for calling, you know, <laughs> arguing balls and strikes. So maybe not the best way for him to leave if he's going to go. The other thing, and this isn't like, you know, the smoking gun. This isn't the the second gunman on the grassy knoll type of thing. But when you start, you know, piecing all the things together, I've talked about the AFL, the Arizona Fall League. And, you know, they released, I think, 10 names. Finally, on Wednesday, they released the full roster. Gavin Lux was someone I didn't see in the first 10 announcements they were going with. And I was really interested to see where the Arizona Fall League rosters were going to go. Gavin Lux not put on those rosters. So again, like I said, it's not like, oh, now it's for sure. But look, you look at everything where they allowed him to play second base. He's been destroying in AAA. In 46 games, he has 13 homers. That is the same amount of homers he hit in AA, take back about 18 games. So he's got three stolen bases. He's hitting 400. He's just been an absolute monster this season. So you've got the performance. You've got the positional move, not on the Arizona Fall League roster. And now you get the fourth block coming down where there is an injury that clearly opens Gavin Lux up. So, you know, what were we looking at? I should probably look at this here. Gavin Lux was, I believe, last we looked about 56% owned. If anybody hadn't gone out there, you know, to the waiver wire or, you know, where, whatever system they have to immediately pick him up. You should be doing it outside of Max Muncy's fine, nothing to worry about here. But Gavin Lux is still going to come up September 1st. So this is all hands on deck. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, a Muncy injury, I think, would virtually guarantee it. And regardless of that, I think I think Lux is the player you should most be excited about stashing away for pot- potential September call up. 
you know, even if Muncie's hurt, maybe it doesn't happen till September 1st. I don't know. Maybe they pick carry an extra reliever until then and wait till they get those extra major league roster spots. They've got flexibility. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean anything if he doesn't get called up right away either. That's all I'm pointing out. Uh, I, I, you know, you got to stash Lux at this point. You just yeah. have to. Yeah. And it's not, to, it's not to just like belabor the point, but it's just, this is that last piece. It's like, if you needed one more thing to put you over, there it is. And if, if anybody cares um, on the Arizona fall league, I'll be talking about more of this on uh, prospect one later this week. If people want to check out that podcast, but Kyle Tucker, Jesus Lazardo, two other guys not listed on the Arizona fall league, which I think is interesting um, in just the reassurance because the, uh, the Astros did send force Whitley to the Arizona fall league, which surprised many him returning turning because he's such a poor season some I think we're holding out hopes he might come up in September for the Astros but Tucker and Lazardo off the AFL rosters which just shows even more of the ability that they'll be coming up with their team so Scott's been saying it for weeks and weeks and weeks and whatever those are three guys that you want to be owning on Wednesday night we say goodbye to you ratios we say goodbye to you Mitch Keller who was 38% owned that should drop drastically four innings 11 hits eight earned runs he walked one, struck out eight. Keller started seven games this year. This was his fourth time giving up six or more runs in a game. It has been bleh. Kyle Hendricks, also your ratios can be waved goodbye. Four and two-thirds, eight hits, six earned runs, two walks, and three strikeouts. But probably the biggest blow to anybody tonight is Thor, Noah Syndergaard. This was the fat Thor from endgame. Three innings, nine hits, nine runs. One walk, five strikeouts, and it looks like you've got, ooh, let's see, it was Washington, then Philly, or up next is, I might have wrote this in two different places. I believe he has Washington and Philly coming up for Noah Syndergaard. I believe the Seattle-Milwaukee might have been Hendricks. It's a frustrating outing for Syndergaard. It it may cost me my playoff spot in the league, so oh, I'm not no. unsympathetic to anybody who's uh, you know suffering at the hand of what Noah Syndergaard did tonight. I it's not going to lead me to sit him next time out if I happen to move on. I mean, he had been on his best run of the entire season, which is what makes it all the more frustrating. Kind of blindsides you. But it's that's... not the best matchups that are upcoming, though. Yeah. And, uh, but this is the don't get too cute thing that we talk about. Like, right. don't get too cute with your leagues. Listen, you're going to feel it next year, and maybe it'll be in the back of your head if you put Noah Sinder. I mean, Noah Sinder might have cost you your playoffs. You're going to think about it. But at the end of the day, you ask yourself, do you want to go in with the pitcher that is probably your SP2, SP1 maybe even? Do you want to go in with the best guy? Or are you going to try to get cute? Especially, oh man, you bench Syndergaard and he goes out and strikes 10, gives up two against Philly or something like that. I mean, that's something that eats away at you more than a guy getting blown up. Um, you have control over the guys that you, I mean, I guess you have control over the guys you start and sit, but I'm going to put my guys out and not get too cute. But it's still, it's alarming. Yeah, and it's it's just what comes with the territory of starting a pitcher in 2019. He gave up three home runs. They all happen to be two-run shots. I mean, there's six of the nine runs right there. And every pitcher has been susceptible to these kinds of outings. It's it's more you're starting a pitcher in the hope that they give you, you know, a big, splashy, high upside kind of start. And obviously, Cindergard is, you know, still in like the the 90th percentile of doing that. So yeah, you you stick with him. The one of these three, Cindergard, Hendricks, and Mitch Keller, uh, that really today's start changes my mind about him in any ways, is Keller. And it has me rethinking 
what to do about those back-end pitcher spots on a team that that is, you know, in a playoff position or or fighting for one. You know, obviously for most of the season we sell out for upside. I think that's the right thing to do. You hope to land a genuine breakout somebody you can rely on week after week. And Keller fits that description better than most of what's widely available. He's 38% owned, so widely available. But when you don't really have a good idea how it's going to play out, because, you know, it's been very hit or miss in the early go, in his case, more miss, or, you know, there's, they just aren't established enough for you to really have much conviction about using them. Uh, in this environment, especially, things can go horribly wrong, like wreck your season kind of wrong. And in those cases, particularly this time of year, it might be worth going with the boring option. But who is the boring option? That's a good point. Like if everybody, if every pitcher is susceptible to giving up a bunch of home runs any time out, like the boring ones are. That just means they're more susceptible to doing that, right? Like well, the, I, I feel the, like, yeah. I mean, the bo- if the the boring one, how much differentiation is the boring one from the high upside potential blow up young guy? Like, what's the differentiation? Are you saying, well, if I can get, I don't know, you know, Kyle Gibson, or I can get five in, if I can get five innings, four strikeouts, and he only gives up two or three earned runs, but everything else is low upside, no quality starts, wins might not be there, but he doesn't destroy my ratios. Is that the baseline safety you're talking about comparative to a guy like Mitch Keller who could strike out nine and go seven? I mean, I guess you could call Kyle Gibson boring. He's also 85% owned. so He's boring. Let me ask you this. You, you've just brought up a really interesting point. We got an email that almost kind of lives in this world. Let me jump to it and let's wrap what you're comprehending right now around this question because maybe they can be um, there can be a synergy to it Jeffrey sent an email in he said I have had a I've had a great year based in large part to Scott White's advice but I am completely baffled by how to use Scott's starting pitching rankings as you get past (laughs) (laughs) this is like somehow a compliment I think as you get past about number 40 the rankings don't seem to work as a week-to-week tool in my weekly categories league. So this is this person. In my 12-team league, for example, I'm playing Bassett, 91, and Anibal Sanchez, 92, this week. But have zero remorse, Kyle Gibson has sat on the waiver wire since I dropped him a month ago, although I now see his matchup is good this week. So, beyond the top 30 or 40, is it all week-to-week streaming and hot hands at this point? So this is kind of a, an email in the same vein where you're talking about, like, after you get past the core, he's kind of referring to that core you're saying. You're saying, mm-hmm. you know, after the the main guys, when you start to get down towards the bottom, I think you're talking about maybe a little bit of a bigger pool, but he's saying after around 30 or 40, he's having a hard time differentiating, like, when he's looking at your ranks and how to use them, and maybe that correlates with what you're talking about here. These are some big, hefty concepts we're reaching into and not entirely on the same wavelength, though interrelated. Uh, so just to address the point of my rankings, like that, it, it sounds like he's not using the rankings correctly in that they're rest-of-season rankings, right? They're not week-to-week rankings. So if, if he's relying on them miss. to find weekly sleepers, yeah. that's, that's really not what they're for. 
Um, but getting back to the point I was making, beyond that 40 where we feel we could genuinely feel secure about, I, you know, I mostly rank the upside guys at the top. Uh, and maybe at this point in the year, that's that's on what I mean, rest of season we're talking, you know, this late in the year, you can play more like a week to week ranking because there's so few weeks left. We're talking rest of season. But right? to your so, point, like Brendan McKay was a super sexy option and went like five yeah. and a third perfect inning. And then he got yeah. lit up for weeks. It's it's more about, you know, re- when I say rest of season rankings, what that means actionably is who I'd rather roster. Yeah. And as I was just saying to you, I mean, for most of the season, you'd rather roster the upside guys in, in the hope of making it big. But, I, I mean, so, like, okay, Kyle Gibson, if we want to say he's boring, um, you know, I, my point was he's unavailable, too. So nobody's going to be able to backfill their rotation with Kyle Gibson yeah, at this right. point, except the Kyle Gibson owner. But, like, I, I think Mike Leake is somebody you could easily describe as boring, but Absolutely. look at how many terrible, terrible starts he's had. Like he's Merrill terrible. Kelly. Like I, I kind of think your guy Sandy Alcantara might be the, the like, uh, the 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 clearest example of a boring pitcher, but boring on the Marlins plays into him having only four wins on the season, so he's not that useful either. True, but he did go uh, six innings, six hits, four and runs. He did strike out eight. His three previous games were all quality starts, and he's under forty percent owned right now. Yeah, I mean, if wins if wins aren't a thing in your league, then it it changes. I, I guess he becomes that boring guy that you can uh, buy into. There was another, you know, Anthony Desclafani. I feel like he kind of fits the description of boring for the year. You know, seven innings, two hits, eight strikeouts today. It was obviously one of his best starts. He had one run at six innings last time. You know, he has these stretches where he goes like five innings at a time, gets a four runs, three runs, starts that aren't good, but they're not starts that are going to wreck your season. And, and his final line, well, his, his season-long line now comes out to a 405 ERA, 129 whip, 9.2K per nine. Um, not numbers you get excited about, but particularly uh, because they aren't so, his starts aren't such polar opposites every time. Like he ends up being somebody that you don't feel bad about having in your lineup. At least, I mean, I don't. I haven't experienced having him in my lineup, but I, I assume that's the the feeling as a Desclafani owner. Well, you picked two guys, by the way. I mean, so we we kind of jump in. I want to jump us all around, but I had a segment called "Who Do You Love and Are You Sure?" Who do you love? All right, uh, Desclafani, fifty four percent owned. Uh, Alcantara, 38% owned. We already talked about both of their numbers. By the way, Descalfani looks like he's got Philly and Arizona coming up. How about Vince Velasquez? He went five, struck out five, gave up two. But his, it was his 18th start of the year, and he has two quality starts all year. It's amazing. Uh, your boy Justice Sheffield has had a rough go, only 30% owned, four and one third, gave up five earned runs, struck out five, did not walk. But his last start, he only went four Gave up three, walked three, struck out three. And then how about a super boring guy, Jordan Lyles, 40, uh, 45% owned, five and one third, gave up one, walked one, struck out nine. He had a clunker versus the Nationals on 817. But if you took away that, his last four starts, he has had 23 innings with only three earned runs, 19 strikeouts, and uh, 2.51 ERA and six starts with the Brewers. So Desclafani, Alcantara, Velasquez, Sheffield, and Lyles. Who do you want? 
Who do you want? There's a cut. There's a little upside guy in there. There's a couple of the boring guys you talked about. What well, Tesclafani, I think, is the one I want most there. I think pretty easily Velasquez seems to be capped as like a five inning pitcher, so that severely limits his potential, and he's capable of getting blown out. Uh, you said Jordan Lyles is a boring guy. I'm not sure he's just is he boring or is he bad? I he's mean, looked, he's looked good with the Brewers. Sure. So maybe he's figured something out. Uh, only two of the six starts, though, has he had even double digits when he strikes, though. So I'm skeptical of that. Yeah. I mean, mine would be like, is love love or is love the absence of hate? Like, maybe they're the same <laughs> thing. Like, Lyles might be both of those <laughs> things. He might be boring and not good. But he's, you know, he's put some together. So, okay, so if you had to pick a second one, then, if it's not Desclafani, are you going to relent to my guy, Sandy? Uh, you want to do it? I, th- I think... I think given the stage of the season we're in, yeah, I think so. I felt good. I felt good. I'm going to I'm gonna take that as a win. Little uh, little W for Welsh. I like that. That makes me feel good. All right. Hey, let's uh, stop a minute here for a sponsor here on Fantasy Baseball today. There's a whole bunch more because one pitcher went absolutely off tonight. We got to talk about standouts. We're also doing the show. It's close to midnight on East Coast, and there are still three games going on. So we'll kind of check in with them, see what's going down plus a whole bunch more. So sponsor time right here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right, so we said goodbye to some ratios. We talked about, and I really like where you were going with the philosophical question. By the way, do you do you feel satisfied that you were able to get what you wanted to say out of that? Because I didn't mean to rush you out of it, but I did feel like that was a weighty conversation, what you were talking about, the upside versus the boring. Do you feel hole in that conversation or is this something maybe we do over a couple episodes as we materialize what you were saying it's not a fully baked idea so i think i got the initial thoughts out there okay i just want to make sure i don't i don't want to move past where you know the scott white people out there are like hey welsh shut your mouth and let scott spit the knowledge <laughs> i just wanted to make sure you spit the knowledge that you needed to see adam wouldn't care he'd just be like we gotta move on that's true well i mean i'm not at the stage of being mean yet that'll take a couple months <laughs> that'll take and i can do that uh one guy that was i mean really well, incredible's a, a, a the wrong word here because he didn't have the best of best starts at least from an earn run perspective garrett cole six and two thirds gave up four earned runs but he struck out 14. And according to Andrew Simon of MLB Research, Cole is the first pitcher since you, Darvish, in 2017 to allow four earned runs while striking out 14 or more. This is his third straight double-digit strikeout game. And, you know, uh, Scott Bogman and I over and in this league, we were, we're doing kind of a looking at the rounds of players. And Garrett Cole was a big piece of that conversation on who are the locks for the first round. And Garrett Cole just continues to solidify himself as a no-brainer top three, probably top two. Sale hurt himself being out of there. But I re- I mean, you see these strikeout games, it's hard to ignore, though we will have to monitor where he goes in the offseason. But Garrett Cole's going to be one of those league winners this year as far as, you know, pitchers we can't trust. Boy, is he one that we can count on. Yes, he is. I, I'm leaning toward making him number one. We'll see how Max Scherzer finishes out. It's it's between those two. 
Verlander would be in the discussion if he wasn't going to be 37 next year, and that's just that's just a lot of risk. Your take? I mean, how many how many overpowering 37 year olds have there been in all of history? Very few. I mean, I'm trying to think, like, who's the oldest Cy Young winner? Do we know what that is? Who that is? I can't off the top. Roger Clemens? Uh, Well, probably. Probably Roger Clemens. Maybe Randy Johnson. R.A. Dickey won when he was old, but he's an oddity in so many ways. How about Gaylord Perry? In 1978, Gaylord Perry, at age 40, became the oldest pitcher to receive the award, a record that stood stood until broken in 2004. By Roger Clemens, who was forty-two. Go. Was he forty-two when he? Are you? Is that for real? I believe it. Yeah, he's still out there too. He's still out there. Do you see him pitching like some independent league? He's got that big old <laughs> beer gut, and he's just out there, just you know, throwing <laughs> throwing heat. That's just what a he rocket. Does. Yeah. By the way, the youngest recipient was Dwight Gooden, age twenty. Just if anybody cared, and that happened to be up where I was pulling that up. Max Scherzer, by the way, went four and one third. Uh, two earned runs, walked one, eight strikeouts on Wednesday night. 89 pitches he went, uh, 58 were for strike. So not what you want, but you knew they were going to kind of ease Max in. These are the outings that you need for Max. I still think Max is a lockdown number one for 2020. Garrett Cole will be a guy that I think 70 to 75% of the time goes as the number two guy, which is good enough calling him the second best, but a couple of the big and, guys out here today. And were you implying that Sale is your number three, Chris Sale? Um, I'm not sold on that. I think I was I was implying that he's in the general vicinity of that conversation. But I think at this point, I mean, can you take can you take sale over Verlander with the injury stuff? I don't think I could. I don't think I can either. In my bold predictions column, 30 bold predictions for 2020, I boldly predicted Chris Sale would win the AL Cy Young next year. But uh, there's there's my bold there's my bold self and there's my rational analytical self and rational analytical self is not going to draft like that will you fulfill bold prediction 31 where you will watch the jerk and you will then reference it on this show <sighs> see oh come on probably not that's disappointing i i feel like the jerk is one of those movies i kind of halfway watched bleary-eyed while surfing the internet in my early 20s it happened to be playing on tbs and you gotta you watch know. the uns- you gotta watch it like DVD style or rent it yeah. on Amazon. Just one night, just one night. What do, what do we need to do to make that happen? Um, <laughs> your silence speaks kids for an afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, your silence spoke uh, much much deeper words. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's keep moving on here. How about some standouts? I'm gonna just drop some uh, double dongs on you because we had three double dongs as some standouts. How about? Jason Joe Kipnis, your boy, who's only 39% owned. He went two for four on Wednesday, 15 and 16 homers, back-to-back homer days, by the way. Jonathan Scope, who's only 45% owned, hit his 20 and 21st. He was two for four with four RBIs, and he has five homers in his last uh, four games. And Xander Bogarts hit his 29th and 30th. He became the first Red Sox, or I'm sorry, he was the, yeah, yeah, no, this is right, the first Red Sox shortstop since Nomar Garcia Parra to hit 30 homers. That was in 1998. That was via my boy Ryan Spader. So uh, Xander Bogart's doing some stuff. Scope versus Kipnis. If you were going into the middle infield move here, you got to pick. You're picking your guy, Big Joe, though, right? <laughs> Big Joe Kipnis. Big Joe. Yeah. 
That's the guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. I mean, the thing about Scope, five home runs in his last five games, but they've been so spread out because uh, uh, Julio Arise. Arise. We found we found out over the weekend that it's Arise. Arise, chicken. Arise. That's what it arise. is. Yeah, it sounds like uh, what Palpatine said to Vader, right? After he put a, they suited him up for the first time. Mm. Let's hear Isn't it. Let's hear your I impression. Think said, I think he just said Rise. rise. Like that. Yeah. I don't good. think there was a rise. But anyway. That's fine. Yeah. No. Scope's you, and and our references, by the way, yours was uh, Star Wars, and then mine was like, you know, Adult Swim, uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. So that tells us where our brains are both at. So I'm sorry. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. Arise has been playing a lot. Scope's been getting a consistent playing time. Maybe he gets more with this recent home run binge. I mean, we know he has some power. Well, Arise also, if you um, if you want to jump into it, he's got multi-position flexibility, so he can play in sure. the outfield. Byron Buxton had a setback a couple days ago in the minors, and let me just scroll down here, Max Kepler was scratched from the lineup due to soreness in his right knee, so maybe they give Kepler a little bit of a rest. Arise goes out into the outfield, and you're going to see more of Scope. So, I mean, does that make Scope a little bit more enticing, or do you just like the run that uh jk's on i see no reason to move on from jason kipnis i mean yeah he has three or four day stretches where he doesn't produce but it's you know then he comes roaring back with the two homer game whatever he figured out with his hands in mid-june and 850 ops since then i mean he's it, the answer to the age-old question i don't what do i do with my hands jason kipnis has the answer was that a swingers reference or is that a different it, movie? It wasn't. Okay. <laughs> we we are so polar opposites on pop culture. I'm like, are you about to drop a, what do I do with these hands? You're like a bear, man. But that's, that doesn't. Swingers. Does that hit home? Uh, swingers is, yeah, that's a good one. My, one of my like favorite comedic movie scenes of all time. Uh, the answering machine. I, I knew it. Scott, I want, I want you to know this in my heart of hearts. I almost interrupted you and said, I know it's the answering scene, the, the answering, answering machine, machine scene, a hundred thousand totally percent that movie. Yeah. John Favreau has this moment in the movie where he actually starts talking to the answering machine. He calls this girl, leaves a message, gets hung up on, keeps trying to call back. And then like, there's this whole thing with the answering machine talking. It's great. It's great. Uh, there's the, your money man. There's the Wayne Gretzky scene with the video game. It's a classic, classic movie that actually is more popular to hate now, but at least we're trying to get on the same track. What about you? Uh, standouts for Wednesday. You got one for me? Uh, yeah. So standout from Wednesday's game that we haven't covered already. Maybe I don't have one. I confidently said, yeah. Um, that was like yesterday, the, two days ago when you're like, he's a lefty, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. <sighs> All right, Aaron Savale. Great. Let's tap that well again because he just keeps continuing to pitch great. Seven innings, two earned runs, five strikeouts, zero walks. I mean, yeah, doesn't look like a big strikeout guy, but doesn't look like a terrible strikeout guy and has terrific control. Uh, quality start in every start this year, but one and that one, he went five and two thirds. Right. And that's up to six starts now. And unless it changed in today's outing, cause I don't think I can look it up for today. He has not given up a barreled ball all across those six starts, not one. So he's done a good job of getting weak contact. And I don't, that's one of those things that I don't really put a lot of faith into. 
uh, because it can be. I mean, at some point it does become a reflection of ability, but I don't know when that point comes, and I'm not totally buying into Savali yet, but among among pitchers who don't seem to have a great deal of upside, he's looking like one of the more trustworthy ones right now. He's very interesting, and one thing that maybe even hold hopes, I know some people might have freaked out a little bit, is uh, getting to our news notes and everything else. Carlos Carrasco is officially going to be activated by the Indians on Sunday he had thrown three and two-thirds inning in some rehab appearances. Uh, was Fastball was getting good, hitting up into the, the high 90s, but he's going to return in a relief role. And the Indians, they know how to do it, man. They know how to, they know how to work these guys, works into their system. Savali is, I mean, at this point, he's looking like the Aristides Aquino of pitchers, just like, what? What are we talking about here? And it doesn't look like he's going to be in a position where a guy like Carlos Carrasco is going to take his spot. Carrasco is just going to be a guy to probably provide protection on the back end. So no mm-hmm. probably love for Carlos Carrasco as far as fantasy goes for the rest of the year. But uh, Savali, we can say yes. I, and just it shouldn't go without saying great, great news that Carrasco is to the point in his recovery from leukemia that he's able to get back on a major league mound again. It's just, it's great to see. Uh, I do wonder if with the Indians, Oh, they haven't Clint. They, they, you know, they're not a lock for the playoffs. They, they don't lead the division. They do lead the wild card race right now, but they could certainly lose it. They have to keep winning. So they can't afford to do anything too forward thinking. Um, but it does seem like a case where they could stretch him out on the fly with the hope of him becoming one of their a fixture in the postseason rotation. Yeah, so we'll a, see how that plays. He out. could be a two inning guy, stretch him out, like you're saying, get to the playoffs and maybe it gets better. Um, little update: the Dodgers announced that Max Muncy's uh, da, 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 when he left, it was a right wrist contusion. So. That's pretty good news. Doesn't mean he's not going to miss a little bit of time, which could still push up Gavin Lux, but it's also not a move that it's not something where he's out for, you know, the next six weeks and it's a absolute no brainer. Everything still everything still flies with picking up Lux. It's just probably a couple days with Muncie and maybe this just moved up the timetable. You agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. That uh that sounds like a pretty good Take on that. Yeah. Okay. Brad Keller is officially shut down. So delete everything we talked to you about Brad Keller as of recent. Jorge Lopez is set to start on Saturday. So all you do is move on from Brad Keller. Does anybody jump at the top of your mind as far as replacements? I know uh, Danny Duffy is coming back. Maybe somebody wants to look into that realm. I know we're going to talk about some deeper pitchers here, but does anybody jump out, you know? Top of your mind here? All the Kellers are... It's bad news on anyone named Keller on Wednesday. <laughs> the Keller beat is not is not a good one. Uh, How about Sandy Nobody Alcantara? from the Royals I would want, no. Sandy Alcantara? Maybe? Listen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to like... It's my thing now. I'm just going to... I don't... You don't I like don't him. Really, okay. everybody stinks who throws a ball. Everybody, like... Do you have a baseball? The guys we've already mentioned, Savale, if he's still out there, I don't know how available he is anymore. Desclafani, those are probably my favorite too. I think they're the least likely to burn you and give you something halfway decent. Um, But, you know, Jesus Lazardo, he seems like a lock to come up in September, right? He's only 58% owned. I think he is, but aren't you worried about what you said earlier? Yes. Okay. 
little but more. But I worried. still want impact. I mean, I still think you're going to need impact. To, I don't know. I'm. Were you holding a baseball, by the way? <laughs> Do you have a grip? Like What's your number one grip? I'd look. Oh, it's a child's baseball that's completely useless. They. I was about to say how the, how that ball looked in your hand. I was like, you would probably throw a pretty dang good change up there with your coverage of that ball. But it's a it's a little kitty one. Yeah, I don't know. It's I guess, I guess it's a little small, but it's more squishy. Okay. Like completely uncatchable. They said like the sporting goods store sells this little child's glove with this ball. Oh, you're gonna teach your kid to play catch, but it's like so light. Trying to squeeze it into a glove, like forget it. But it's a good stress ball. When it I does, talk yeah, about no, Sandy, it is great for that. I like squeezing it. Yeah. yeah, you just bring it out every time I talk about Sandy. Um, let's blow through a few more of these here. Marlins, they placed Jordan Yamamoto on the 10-day IL with a right forearm strain. Sean Doolittle threw a 20-pitch simulated inning on Wednesday, and I believe he is going to set to go out for a rehab stint. I don't know. I think I might have saw that he might even be able to come back this weekend. If not, maybe early next week for your playoff run for save chances, which would probably be a welcome. Does that sound about right? Uh, I'm sorry. Who was it? Sean Doolittle. Doolittle? Yeah. And, and, uh, Alex, oh, what's his name? Not Alex. Dave Martinez, Nationals manager, said when he went on the IL, because remember, he had a couple of epic meltdowns Doolittle did before going on the IL. And, uh, he said he would be the closer when he returns. So just if there was any concern about that. Yeah. He's coming back. um, Maybe there's reason to be concerned about the performance when he gets back, but. You know, yeah, that makes closer a lot of sense. is not relief pitcher from a fantasy perspective is not that different from starting pitcher in that the first third of the options you might consider are you feel good about, and then the rest you don't. And Doolittle's in uh, among the rest now. It is a big pile, that's for sure. Astros place Brad Peacock on the 10 day IL. Uh, the Athletics place Chris Davis on a paternity list. That's okay. Matt Chapman, though, left Wednesday's game against the Royals after being hit in the head by a pitch. Now, both of those things play into something I think that's interesting, and I mentioned him a couple days ago. The A's are calling up Sheldon Noisy, who is a former shortstop. He's a big dude, big burly dude. I saw him in the Fall League uh, two years ago, I think it was. And uh, third base shortstop, he could play second, hit 27 homers in AAA this year, slashing 317 with a 389 OBP and a 550 slugging and just about 500 at bats. Huge power. I mean, it sounds different in BP, and he's had amazing results. This is, again, I would just liken it. People like Aristides Aquino, people don't pay attention to Sheldon Noisy. He's got some position flexibility. He's got huge power. If he makes the contact, watch out. This is a super deep league type of ad, but you now have maybe Chapman with an injury and Chris Davis on the paternity leave, which might give Noisy some more opportunity. I don't know if you have any opinions on uh, Noisy. Well, it greatly improved the contact rate at AAA yeah. this year. 32% last year, just awful. 23.6 this year, pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, like you said, he's played different positions before. It's not like he's confined to third base where they're obviously set with Chapman. Um, they have said that they want to give sincerely want to give Seth Brown chances, but he's a left-handed bat. By the way, Sheldon noisy. Uh, it's not spelled phonetically. You may have seen the name before and just assumed it was not pronounced noisy, but it's N E U S E. Yeah. Former, former nationals farmhead. I think he came over in the Sean Doolittle trade. Actually. I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah, 24-year-old. So just one of those guys that made the adjustments when we got to AAA to keep your eye on. And then uh, Gio Urshela 
left Wednesday's contest with left groin tightness. So be on the lookout for that, especially the guy that's been taking you to the playoffs. All right. Uh, sponsor break here right here on Fantasy Baseball today. When we come back, we got to talk about all the rest of the pitchers. We've got some emails we'll get to and some hitter pickups. So sponsor time right here. Let's go. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, Scott, rotation. We talked about Scherzer. We talked about Garrett Cole. James Paxton, it's not crazy of note, but five innings, gave up two earned runs, walked five Four strikeouts, got his 11th win with the Yankees. Eh, eh, it's something to monitor. I'm still not in love um, long-term with James Paxson. It's, it becomes more of the conversation when you get into next year. And then something I haven't mentioned here, we, like I said, we've got games that are in progress, so I want to take a look at any of the pitching performances. Kenta Maeda, five innings, three walks, two earned runs, three strikeouts uh, against the San Diego Padres at this moment when they are, where are they in? They're in the bottom of the eighth. He's in line yep. for a win, and I believe over on the Red Sox side, Eduardo Rodriguez, if this would possibly load for me, Eduardo Rodriguez went five, gave up three, walked three, struck out five, now dropped his ERA below four. So definitely not even remotely close to the season we've wanted, but at least he's maintaining, right? Yeah, and he's had a good run here, and this is a course field start, so getting a win out of it, as it looks like is going to happen... Even if it's kind of an ugly win, you'll take it. And the thing is, he has a 15 and five record, so it's one of those. Um, oh, what's I can't think of the word, but you know, the, a disconnect. That's not the word I'm thinking of, but disconnect will work. Uh, where people hear, "What do you mean he's not having a great season?" Because the points add up when you're winning 15 games. But yeah, I mean, peripherally, he's not as strong as he's been in the past. That's very true. But the most important and impressive, at least, performance as far as the pitchers that are still going in the three games that we've got going on was in uh, Anaheim. The Angels and Rangers, Patrick Sandoval, who I believe is only 3% owned on CBS, went five, gave up only one hit, did walk three, but struck out nine. So this comes back to your question from before, Scott, where you look at a guy like Sandoval, who's had some good minor league numbers, He's had, uh, obviously, a wishy-washy run in the majors, but an incredibly good performance against not a not a cakewalk of a team in the Texas Rangers, giving up one hit, striking out nine, and he is so, so dang low-owned. 
Do you think Sandoval is a speculative guy moving forward, you know, for these next couple starts? Or is this the prime example of someone you want to stay away from? Prime example of somebody you want to stay away from because he's going to sucker you in with what looks like a devastating changeup. I mean, even in his bad starts, it's been a pitch that just piles up tons of swinging strikes. But, uh, you know, he has control issues. He has efficiency issues. This is only the second time in four outings or second time in five outings, some of them not officially starts, where he's gone even five innings. So uh, I think he's somebody who's very interesting from like a dynasty league perspective, particularly a, a deep league. But I, he's he's a work in progress. There's something to work with here, but it's definitely work to be done. How about um, Patrick Sandoval, who, you know, you, you're saying he's the the fool's gold here, but he's kind of the young upside guy versus another super deep league boring player in Jordan Zimmerman, who's only 7% owned. He went six innings, gave up two earned runs, no walks, but struck out five. They're, they're both under 10% owned. Would you go Zimmerman in super deep or your streaming or Sandoval? There's just too much downside for Zimmerman. He's managed to put together three pretty three pretty good starts, but I don't trust him not to just completely implode. He's not he's below boring for me, Zimmerman. He's just bad. Okay. So so that's that's Sandoval then? I guess. Okay. Well, I mean, but we could, could do better. We could process eliminate if we need to. Well, I mean, there's somebody out there. There are people out there that are dealing with that. I I'd, I'd take a flyer on Sean Manaya over either. He's apparently traveling with the team right now. So it seems like a September activation is in store for him. He's only 39% owned. It'll be very interesting to see what the A's do, though, because, you know, you also have Lazardo. How many rotation spots do they have? One little note, the A's have two open spots they have not designated in the Arizona Fall League for pitchers, and I think one will be Lazardo. I think the other one will be James Caprillion, who's been awesome um, early on for them, who's coming back from injury. So I'm just pointing that out there, that Lazardo mm-hmm. may not be much for more than a couple starts, and they may put him there. But they got a lot of guys that are vying for how many true rotation spots in Oakland. When does the Arizona Fall League begin? September 18th, and I will be out there. So people make sure you're following me. I cover it, interviews with players and stuff like that. Starts September 18th when it's, oh, 109 out here. And the games are at night. And it ends October 26th, I believe, with a championship game. And can a player... Join well, yeah, so check this out. All the rules have changed this year. It used to be very strict and stringent. Now there are no player restrictions. Anybody, major league players, low A, international, and they can move them as many times as they want. So that's what's changed so much is they can have a player on the active roster from September 1st to September 16th or 17th. Then they can flip them over to the Arizona Fall League or they can wait till October. They've completely given it ability for them to do whatever yeah. they want with players now, whether it's rehab or anything like that. So I have a hard time believing that, I mean, obviously I understand them wanting to give Luzardo more innings given how much time he's missed. So yeah. it makes sense that they that kind of earmark an Arizona Fall League spot for him. But I have a hard time believing as long as they're still contending that they'd remove him from the equation, which Unless, I mean could last deep into October. It could last the entire Arizona fall league season. It could. And that, but that could also be why they haven't named anybody. 
You yeah. know, it could be seeing how Manaya. That's what I'm getting at is there's a lot of variables like Lazardo. You've actually created a really interesting scenario where Lazardo might be a little bit less attractive on the volatility of young pitchers. And then I think there's also an A's perspective. And I mean, again, I'm like in the weeds here of little tiny things I'm picking apart and I'm picking on the Arizona Fall League, but it is something that teams have the ability to mess with and it's something yeah. they're using at their disposal. I, I will say this about Lizardo because I it it's different from Mitch Keller. It's different from Justice Sheffield, guys where you know the upside's in there, but you don't really know how it's going to go. From back in spring training, I, I've had the utmost confidence that when whenever Luzardo's time comes, he is going to shine. I think he immediately becomes the A's best pitcher. I think his arsenal is fully developed. He has great command of it, and he's just going to dominate. And uh, so I'm not. You, by the way, so that's why I'm not really holding back when I say, you know, when I when I'm kind of hedging on the okay, do you go after upside right now or do you go after impact? Because I think, uh or wait, that's, that's the same thing. Do you go after impact or do you go after security? Because I think it's all bundled together for Luzardo. Yeah, no, and I agree with you on every facet you said. Also, he's one of the smartest young pitchers, too. Loves to mix up uh, his windup. You know, sometimes he's going to quick pitch you. Sometimes he's going to, you know, he's going to stall his leg. He's just a really smart guy. I think he's uh, at the, him and McKenzie Gore, top prospect guys, and Luzardo's the player. It's just the team may have different plans for him. Yeah. They might hedge their bet because if they start to get out of it, they can send him out there. Just something to watch for everybody. Uh, how about the bullpen? Josh Hader got back in the business. 95% owned, but only 81% start right now because people are worried. He got a two-inning save, two innings, one hit, no walks, no one runs, three strikeouts. It was his 26th of the year, but his first save since August 5th. Josh Hader, we're we're back comfortable with, but he's not in that top. Is he in that top third you were talking about, where you're like, ah, oh, the top third, we're good. I'm not sure Hader's that much more comfortable than Sean Doolittle. He's straddling, he's straddling okay. the fence there because he's like the dividing line between the the Hader line, the twelve good closers, and the rest you're not sure about because we're not even sure he is a closer. First of all, hopefully this this stretch where he appeared twice in eleven days. Uh, whatever was going on on the side got him back on track in terms of how good he could be because we know he's yeah. just an incredible pitcher. But is he a closer? I mean, mm. they were kind of moving him out of the role even before the struggle started. Yeah, well, free agency will probably tell us where they go with that as well. Brad Hand locked his 32nd save of the year, third most in the league, uh, one of only five with 30 saves. So you want to talk about how elite the top end of pitching is going to be next year. The closer position might as well. Uh, this one I love. Ian Kennedy earned his 23rd save on Wednesday of the season. There, there's an alternate universe, a different Spider-Verse, where Blake Trinan is better than uh, Ian Kennedy. It's not this universe, though. As Blake Trinan came in the seventh on Wednesday, gave up two runs, and he got the loss. He now has a just-sub-5 ERA, and since June 20th, he has more blown saves than saves, which is two blown saves and no saves. What a disaster BT has been in Oakland. Why don't yeah. pay for saves, by the way? Um, yeah, I, I, that's a good point. And uh, I mean, I've kind of loosened my policy on not paying for saves because you're not just getting saves, of course, with the caliber of closer that's being developed today. You're getting incredible ratios, unlike we've ever seen in Major League history. 
Except for, but, from Trinan. Well, for one year, you got them from Trinan. But maybe that's more less an issue with him being a closer than just, you know. Yeah. There's something to be said for track record, too. Yeah, sure. Um, let's talk about some hitters. We had a combo meal, little homer, stolen base action. Francisco Lindor hit his 24th homer and his 19th stolen base. Love me some Francisco Lindor. Keston Hira, who is 88% owned, was two for four, hit his 16th homer on Wednesday, 304 average, 377 or 373 OBP, 16 homers and nine stolen bases. And I think, you know, you and I have kind of talked about just trying to find a spot where he is actually going to sit next year. It's going to be in this big old middle infield clump of valuable players in drafts next year. And uh, I think, I know the strikeout rate is up, but maintaining the average makes me feel oh so good because I am a very, very big Keston Hira guy. And if anyone ever wants to hear, I interviewed him on Prospect One last year in the Fall League, and he, he won the MVP in the Arizona Fall League, and he is, uh, he is quite a talent. Yeah, just really skilled hitter. Uh, I'm dis- I've been discouraged by the 30% strikeout rate, but him succeeding in spite of it, I think, is a testament to his upside. Great way to say Not it. totally sold on him as like a must-start guy the rest of this year, but it's Ooh. it's it's hard to bench him just because he does continue to produce. Kyle Schwarber, who's 79% owned, went two for three with three RBIs on Wednesday, hitting his 31st homer of the year. But I pulled this up, and I thought this was interesting. He's only hitting 228 on the year. There are 25 hitters who have hit 30 homers so far this season. 25. There are only three that are hitting under 240. So I ask you, is there any room for sub-average power hitters like this anymore? Those other two, by the way, are Gary Sanchez, which is another beast, and Hunter Renfro. Like, 30's 30, but do we have room when there's 20, what is that, What 22 other batters who have 30 homers that are hitting a 240 or higher? I mean, not really. Maybe if you get into like a 15-team league, you do. And Schwarber's case, I mean, he doesn't quite play every day. He still sits against, looks like the majority of left-handers. So that's, uh, you know, contrasting him from somebody like Renfro, who I think has been playing every day, right, since the since the Framil Reyes trade. I may be wrong about that. I don't. It doesn't he, look like he is. Yeah, I don't think he has been every day. Okay, so I guess they're similar. But yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, and that's kind of why I talked about being worried about Reese Hoskins and where he's ultimately going to wind up. For those yeah. traditional 5 by 5 leagues that don't so much care about how much he walks, uh, he might be, he might not be such a big deal. Yeah, and Schwarber's another one of those players. He kind of fits like a cheaper mold of that. Your boy, J.D. Davis, uh, who is 60% owned, back-to-back days with homers. He hit his 17th on Wednesday. Colton Wong, who's 43% owned, was 3-for-4 with his 10th homer. Now 9 homers and 18 stolen bases on the year, hitting 338 in the month of August. And Mike Ford has done it again. Four homers in the last four days and only 9% owned right now. So Davis, Wong, Ford, you got any strong feelings on any of the three? I mean, we know, I guess we know the feelings on J.D. Davis. are all going to be Oh, we know my lovey. feelings yeah. on J.D. Davis. He, the fact he's only 60% owned shows nobody listens to me. The smile on your face right now, if I could screenshot the look on your face as you started talking about J.D. Davis, it, you <laughs> just, you, you were glowing. You were literally glowing. <laughs> yeah, he's dreamy. He is dreamy. <laughs> His expected stats are anyway. Is Mike and, Ford uh, dreamy though? That's a lot of homers recently. No, I don't know. I like I'm always 
just kind of like I'd rather them play Mike Talkman because it seems like it it comes down to those two many days. Okay, then what about uh, this Colton Wong being a cheap Jason Kipnis? Do you buy that? Uh, not really. I, I I presume a lot of his production it was front loaded because he got off to an incredible start this year. Well, three thirty eight in August though. Yeah, I get that, but is it? Is it an empty batting average, basically? One home run, three stolen bases. Pretty empty. Yeah, it's relatively empty. Um, yeah, I just don't think there's enough, like, particularly for this environment. Like, it's it's just, if you want batting average, you go after a rise. Somebody like Juli, uh, Luis, did I call him Julio Arise before? Because <laughs> I, mean, I was I thinking it's, it's like Arias, but it's Luis. Oh, man. I mean, I just. The I'm Twins a, player. I know. Is Luis Arise. Yes. And the other and one is Luis Urias. Or Urias. Urias, yeah. Oh, I really? Know. Yeah, Urias. It'll, it'll be someone I get to block on Twitter that'll correct it soon, so don't worry about that. Um, what? <laughs> so go ahead, Do you have more Adam on... Adam keeps uh, calling that Astros hitter Jordan Alvarez. So, you know, it is. That's, just, that's what he is. Even though it looks like Jordan, it's incredibly frustrating. Okay. It is Jordan Alvarez. That is actually his name. <laughs> Um, okay, so we got someone else verifying it. Yeah, so apparently it, it, the Astros broadcasters don't call him Jordan; they call him Jordan. I, I think it might be along the lines of the Eloy thing, where Eloy, Eloy, he, he literally did an interview and he said, "I don't care, just call me whatever, just pay me." I mean, he didn't say that, but that's just—he's <laughs> just like, "Give me money, call me whatever you want, I'm good." Which actually brings me—I I didn't even mean to transition it like this—is he? Worth it. If this is a game show, I'd have a bunch of music going on. Is he worth it, Scott White? Eloy or Aloy Jimenez. He has hit 163 in July, 255 in August. He does have eight combined homers, but that is between those two months. Is he even worth owning right now? Not in a three outfielder league. And uh, five outfielder league, he might be more like a bench option of a team with legitimate championship hopes how about this how about mark canna who's only 46 percent owned i forgot to mention i think eloy's around in the 70s right now hit his 23rd homer of the year on wednesday four homers in his last five games canna or eloy for the playoff push canna boom yeah I think- canna canna and jd davis are the two i i have to write a couple of waiver wire columns a week and there's like it's just it's not exciting at all right now. Like I was, I was talking up Sam Hilliard and mm. Seth. Uh, what's that guy's name? Seth Brown is that his name or did I get it wrong? The uh, A's guy. Yeah, Seth Brown. I got it right earlier in the show. Yeah. Anyway, I was talking them up yesterday just because I get you know. Sam Hilliard I'm, was the most viewed hitter on CBS on Wednesday for everybody because he hit that big bomb. I've uh, Hilliard's a big, impressive dude, power speed combo guy that's inflated in the minors with Colorado, but got the yeah. chance. He's got a chance to do some stuff, but he's like super crazy deep strikeout deep. rate, crazy yeah. like, and he's he's weird because he like he converted from pitching to hitting so late in, in his college career, so he's still it's kind of a project for the Rockies. It's mostly gone well, but you know who knows who knows how this latest chapter is going to go. That's but true. anyway, yeah. getting back to my, my broader point. Um, it's really hard not to write about J.D. Davis and Mark Canna every single day because they're so far ahead of everything out that's what anything else that's widely available on the waiver wire. 
to me. So Canna over Eloy. That's what I wanted everyone to know. Yes. Eloy has struggled. Yeah. I think that's a wake-up call for a lot of you in redraft leagues. He w- he's almost 80% owned. He doesn't need to be. That's what I wanted you guys to know. Oh, hello, Paul Goldschmidt, who stole a base, which was only his second of the year. That's encouraging. Hello, Aristides Aquino. Hit his 13th homer of the year, and coming into Wednesday, he was hitting 307 with 12 homers. He also had a couple stolen bases. 12 homers in the month of August is, I think, what I saw. Holy, holy cow for the Punisher. Yeah. Is he Brandon Inge, or is he for real? Brandon Inge, wow, that's a reference. A good old Chris Shelton month. Is this a Chris Shelton (laughs) month, or is he for real? The one I always refer to is Shane Spencer. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that, you know. I don't know if it matters. You've got to be a longtime baseball fan to know any of those references. This but anyway, Aquino, like he's, Aquino has gotten his strikeout rate, like it's 23% now. At this rate, he's going to be a top 100 player drafted in 2020. I have no question. At the, if he finishes how he's going right now, I, I'm not saying I'm going to do it. I'm telling you, he but will yeah, be drafted in the top 100. Well, will he finish like this? I, I'm more inclined to say yes than I was a week ago. Yeah. Um, you know, like it, it's harder to make the Austin Riley comparisons now because he has cut down on the strikeouts so much. But I, I think he was striking. He struck out a ton in the minors too, right? Aquino. Okay. Oh, Aquino. I mean, that was his. It was his bag. He struck out. He didn't make good contact. When he did, the ball would fly. That was well, his game. Last year it was terrible. This year the strikeout rate was decent. Well, this year's like this year shouldn't. This year's a, a it's an anomaly to who he's been. Yeah. No, I don't know. I'm open to it. I'm open to the idea he's really this good. Okay. A uh, couple more things here, and then we're gonna get out of here. Quick 2020 debate for you, and it sparked because of a couple of these guys and what they did today. I'm gonna give you three players, and I want you to order them. Aaron Judge. Who hit his 18th homer, three for five with a homer and two doubles. Now a seven-game hitting streak, five homers in five games. I had somebody email us over and in this league about trading Judge in a keeper league for Mike Clevenger, and I absolutely hated it. Starling Marte is number two, three for four with his 23rd homer. Now, uh, or coming in, it was uh, 293 average, 23 homers, 24 stolen bases, probably going to get to 100 runs. And Bryce Harper who stole his eighth base, two for four with three runs and an RBI Wednesday, up to 28 homers, 94 RBIs, but a poorish 255 average. So Judge, Marte, Harper, 2020, how do you rank them? Starling Marte very quietly having a career season. And he has been the best of these three this year. It doesn't matter. Like He's always been the guy who... We say his categories league value is much higher than points league value. It hasn't mattered this year. He's just been a stud everywhere. That being said, Judge, I think, is the clear number one here. I'll take Marte second in a categories league. I'll take Harper second in a points league because he's always such a good source of walks. I thought Marte might sneak in. That's why I did that one, but I'm uh, I'm with you. All right, last things up here. Emails, two quick ones. Holly asks... Hey guys, I'm headed into the final week before the playoffs here, and I am desperate for pitching help. I see Alex Wood has an okay streaming matchup tomorrow and perhaps a two-start week next. I've tried him a few times these last few weeks and was disappointed. Should I give him one more try? What do you think? No, I'm not 
saying that Alex Wood can't be somebody useful to you because he has been for so much of his career. But we need to see some evidence of it before I'm trusting a lineup spot to him again. Okay. Ken says, Dear Mac and Mitchell. And by the way, I have the answer to this because he was nice enough to give it to me. And I'll tell you at the end here. Dear Mac and Mitchell, I'm in the semifinals of my 10-team head-to-head points league with daily transactions and a 24-start limit per two-week matchup. Good Lord. Uh, are any of the following pitchers worth adding and keeping on my roster? Or, w- or will I be attempting to stream my way to the championship? He's got... Hap, Porcello, Musgrove, uh, Alcantara, Luzardo. I mean, you can see the names on the email here. Are any of the following pitchers worth adding? I mean, we haven't talked about a few of these guys. Alex Young is in there. Hap, Eflin. You adding anybody? Are you just streaming? Uh, I think the one I would come closest to adding, well, it's obviously Luzardo. There's a long list of names here. Luzardo is the clear standout. You have to add him. It might be the two Marlins after that, Pablo Lopez and Eliezer Hernandez. It would be easier to say that with conviction if they pitched for any team other than the Marlins and had a reasonable chance of winning games. But I I think both are going to be um, fairly reliable kind of... struggle to say mid-tier because there is no mid-tier anymore. But they're going to be on the better in the better half of that that glob of pitchers that we shouldn't really put any faith in. Okay. Uh, by the way, the names, Mac and Mitchell, they were current minor leaguers with the names Welsh and White. So who he was referring mm. to was Mitchell White, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. with the uh, Dodgers, yep. who could, who actually is, I, I think he's in the Arizona Fall League. I'm not sure, but not having a great year. 5 ERA, 101 strikeouts. And I had no idea about this one, but it is so hilarious. Mac Welsh. He was a 23-year-old for the White Sox. He's actually out here right now in the AZL out here in Arizona. What is most interesting about it? He is the son of Chris Welsh, the former Reds pitcher who people confuse me with for no reason whatsoever, not success, money, or looks, but simply because we have the same name. And another fun fact. Why? I can't imagine. But another fun fact. Red's Chris Welsh followed me just because my name is Chris Welsh. He doesn't know anything about me, but he followed me oh, because man, we shared the same Your facts are so much better than the one. I was going to say we almost named our second son Mitchell. Oh. Be a second. We ended up going with something that sounds like Mitchell Marshall. Can you but change that it That would have been cool. Can you go back and change it, please? Well, I knew of Mitchell White at the time. I was okay. kind of rooting for it, in part for that reason. But. Mine was a lot yep. harder to get to, so I think this is pretty impressive by, yeah. I think it was Ken that emailed, Mac Welsh, son of Chris Welsh, not my son, though. That is not my son's name. All right, there you go. <laughs> that is the episode. I hope that helped you guys out. Uh, Scott and I will be back with you here tomorrow, so make sure you hit us up on Twitter, at is it the Welsh at CBS Scott White, and of course, if you have questions, send them in to fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Friendos, have a great one, and we will talk to you guys tomorrow. Later. Later.